As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Chris, if you're going to type, please do it on mute. Sorry. It is 10.14am and we have just heard the first Newcastle United fans arriving into the Stadium of Light. George and I are stood here in the bowl inside uh, the Stadium of Light. How, how are you feeling ahead of this one, George? How are the nerves? I've got that proper Derby Day nauseous feeling. Nauseous. I don't know why I said it like that. But I do. I mean, that's, that's right and proper, so you should. Um, because you just have that sense of meaning and magnitude and you kind of know what's at stake um it proves we're alive i i love these occasions i think they're very special they're usually terrible games of football but um it's building up nicely inside the stadium it's going to be crazy the press box is full to overflowing 100 journalists are here can't all fit into the press room and um yeah it's just exciting Huge, huge afternoon ahead uh, for Northeast football, and hopefully Newcastle United get the victory. Then he will be back with team news once that's out. We are now high up in the main stand at the Stadium of Light. Um, it's about 55 minutes to kick off. The teams are out. Give us a little run through, Chris. There are two Geordies in Newcastle United starting 11. Dan Byrne and Sean Longstaff are in there. The two changes to the defeat at Liverpool with Kieran Trippier coming back in following injury. And also Al Almiron, as we saw at the side, Lewis Miley drops to the bench uh, along with Tuno Livermento too. So a very strong Newcastle side. And Dan Byrne, who was cupping his ear, photographed cupping his ear as he arrived at the stadium a little earlier, which was, uh, which was quite funny. And uh, Newcastle fans apparently singing Roll Out the Red Carpet, the Mags are in town, and you're only full for Beyonce as they arrive at the stadium. It's quite an operation outside. Incredible police presence. I've told up to 600 police people are here. I um, hope everyone's got here safely. But uh, yeah, stadium's filling up nicely. And here we go. And I just, it's lovely that they're playing the Human League in the background at the minute, Chris, and a song which begins, you were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar when I met you, which is something I... I sing to you on a regular basis. It's kickoff. into the area, Isaac is arriving, it's an own goal. Dan Ballard has steered it beyond his goalkeeper to give Newcastle the lead in the derby. Half-time at the Stadium of Light and Newcastle United lead 1-0 thanks to a Dan Ballard own goal. It's been mainly one-way traffic. George seems to 
been fairly comfortable for Newcastle in many ways. Yeah, I thought there were some uncomfortable moments in that first half until they got the goal. But I think I think the score is reflecting, uh, you know, Newcastle's dominance. I'd just like to talk briefly about the atmosphere right at the start. You, you may have heard a bit of it there, but just absolutely incredible 15 minutes before kickoff there's no music being played it's just the two sets of supporters singing at each other in fact i think it's it, the irony has been a bit that it's felt a bit in a quieter way in because i think there's been a nervousness in that newcastle away end until that goal went in but it was just sensational before the game you've just got that constant knot in the stomach it's um as i say i think the scoreline is reflective of the match but it's definitely not not over as things stand I think a second goal will basically kill the game but I imagine Sunderland will try and come and start quickly in the second half they've only had one shot which was from distance and so yeah Newcastle need to be wary of that but I think they've put themselves in a strong position Jalinton brilliant It's Alexander Isaac, it's the worst possible start to the second half for Sunderland. A Sunderland blunder has Newcastle a two-goal cushion. Defensively, it's an absolute disaster. Almiron has not given any of the Sunderland players a second on the ball. Absolute madness, particularly against that man. And it's excellent play, it really is from Almiron. It's a couple of hours after the final whistle. We are walking away from the Stadium of Light. It's dark. It's pissing with rain. Newcastle United have won 3-0, which I think is probably their ideal result, really, isn't it, Chris? I think it was basically... They did what they had to do. I don't think they were brilliant by any way, shape or form, but they were just better than Sunderland, as as they should have been. Capitalised on mistakes and got the win, and by the end started to take the piss a little bit and just really, really try to wallow in the, the, the victory that they have here because this was a big win for them in the context of the season and in the context of the rivalry. Yeah, exactly. In the context of the last decade, it's been a miserable spell to be a Newcastle fan in these fixtures. So there we go. These days are draining. They're noisy. They're full of all that sort of venom and spite. And But the noise beforehand was magnificent. And in a way that we've not seen for a generation, really, Newcastle controlled the game and it was largely comfortable. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time, the Athletics dedicated Newcastle United podcast. And for the first time in what feels like forever, it's a happy Monday to George Corkin and Chris Woff. Chris, how the devil are you? Are you alright? I'm not too bad, thank you. Yes, I'm not too bad. Just to give everyone an insight into how glamorous it is to cover Sunderland against Newcastle United. George picked me up from my house at 815 on Saturday morning. We then drove down to Sunderland, tried to park up somewhere. Uh, eventually did and then we went and sat in the Tesco opposite the Stadium of Light and went into the cafe the big Tesco and had a the big Tesco <clears throat> and had a coffee and a, and a little breakfast muffin there that, that's 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 what we're all wow. about full full glamour full glamour of Derby Day that is amazing just pu- pulling back the curtain there aren't you Chris wonderful stuff how are you Georgie alright I mean from a Newcastle perspective if Carlsberg did weekends. I think that's pretty much up there. I went to I went to both both matches. Went to the uh, obviously went to the uh, derby on Saturday, and it was just 
I don't care what you say, Taylor. It was just that brilliant <laughs> reminder of what that of what that derby means, of what the match means. I mean, yes, there's a lot of nonsense around it, but my goodness, the the occasion, the 15 minutes before kickoff, when there's no music at the stadium, just yeah. both sets of fans singing at each other. It was just absolutely magnificent. Um, and then went to the women's game yesterday at Kingston Park, saw them absolutely thrash. Halifax, my God, they look like a really good team now. So, yeah, from a Newcastle perspective, what a what a brilliant weekend that was. It was. Uh, I watched the uh, watched the game at home with my little boy, and uh, all week leading up to it, he's been so confident. We're going to batter these, Dad. We're going to batter these. It's it's the, they're going to be the easiest derby ever. We're going to batter them. We're going to batter. It's going to be five nil, six nil, and I and I was like, listen, son, just just settle down. All right, it's not how it works. We sat on the sofa five minutes before kickoff, and he turned to me and he went, "I think we're going to lose." <laughs> and I went, now you're getting it. That's now more getting like it. it. So that's more like it. That's more like it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, a great result and a, a great day. And like you say, George, a fantastic weekend for Newcastle. Uh, let's start with the men in that case. A bright start, wasn't it, Chris, from Newcastle? The game was a bit of a quick, slow dance. Uh, Sunderland happy to let us have the ball. Two or three good chances, but nothing really cast iron. But what about that atmosphere before it started, though? Incredible. The atmosphere was incredible from 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 both sets of supporters. I mean, George was was giving me all this spiel that he's given there before about ten minutes into the game. He's like, "Oh, see, I told you, it is. This is what you've got. To, this is what you want to be here for. It's what it's, it's all about." And I turned to him, and, and uh, you've said bright start from Newcastle. Newcastle dominated the ball and dominated territory, but actually. And, and I think in terms of the, the game plan for the entire match, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to tire Sunderland out. But actually, the, the quality of the first 20, 30 minutes I didn't think was brilliant. I thought the pace of the game was pretty slow. I think Newcastle just had far too much of them and knew they had far too much of them. But also... Newcastle's decision making I think in key moments there was a there was a little bit Newcastle were a little bit tentative on the ball very early on and their decision making let them down a few times and that that you could see they wanted to go down the wings when they could but they would pass it about and then it would tend to go back to Botman and usually share and then they'd play a sort of ball over the top of percentage ball and Sunderland would get it back so I thought the game took a little bit of time to get going but I think that's exactly what Newcastle wanted to do in some ways which was just Sunderland did try and come at them in terms of some tackles early on try and get a bit of energy used the energy of the crowd and Newcastle just managed it really well there were a couple of relatively decent chances for Sean Longstaff one decent save from a header another one which he put which he put over the bar and yeah I, I think that really that that first 10 15 20 minutes was about Newcastle making sure they had the ball just take or suck everything all the energy out of Sunderland and just make sure that they were here to show that we are the superior side and we are going to to manage this game well and eventually find the opener it was important, George, wasn't it, to try and take the sting out of the game earlier on and, and, and dampen that crowd a little bit, wasn't it? Because that, that Sunderland crowd were well up for it at the start of the game. Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, it was um, it was brilliant. And I did, you know, I totally agree with Chris. I mean, Newcastle were, were very dominant in terms of possession. Sunderland sat back. Whether that was the right decision uh, or not, in retrospect, I'm not sure. But there was that sense. There was that sense of nervousness around. I think the the Newcastle side a bit, and maybe amongst the crowd as well. That you you just know that while while the score's nil nil, anything can sort of happen. But I think the the really impressive thing was that they did control the game, and I think the longer it went on, the more they they grew into it. And of course, by the time the goal comes along. Um, that was that, you know, that was really that sort of moment that quieted everything down and the nervousness just kind of drained from them. And by the end, it was, you know, it was a mismatch, wasn't it? It was. And that goal came from an own goal from Dan Ballard, Chris, not Dan Ballard, as you called him in the uh, the little audio package at the top there. What were Did you playing I? at? Oh, well, apologies. You know, was... he called him Dan Bollard twice. I was co- I was very much caught up in the in the. Uh, my, my head had gone. My head had completely gone on Derby Day. Yeah, yeah, head's head completely gone. Head's gone. Head's gone. We 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 kept saying that to each other repeatedly when you're trying to sort of you know chat or sort of yeah. jot down coherent thoughts in that atmosphere it's very difficult so we were saying that to each other quite a lot head's gone head's gone we'd actually said that to George earlier on as well because what I failed to mention is when the glamorous uh, getting to Sunderland early is George also then walked out in front of about three cars and nearly got himself run over as well he was just (laughs) yeah but we were we were travelling with Luke Edwards so I think my 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 instincts there were probably understandable I think most Newcastle fans listening to this would agree that my instincts to just walk in front of a car was um, 
was, you know, yeah, that's, that's probably fair enough. Sounds like you could have done with a few Don Bollards there to, to, to protect you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, talking about that uh, that own goal, but what a, what a cross that was in from Gillenthin. He I was mean, magnificent when he first half. He, he was all he, over the place. We'll talk about them a bit more, but that cross was, you know, you couldn't defend against that cross. I mean, I, I felt sorry for... Ballard, Ballard, whatever his name is. And, um, you know, Isak was there at the far post waiting for it and he had to do something. And unfortunately for him, it's kind of come off, but it was that cross. It was, was a good strike as finish, wasn't it, Chris? Brilliant. It's one of those ones where if he doesn't, if he doesn't actually get a foot on it, then Alexander Isak's going to put it in the back post. So it, it isn't, it isn't a calamitous one in the sense that what exactly is he doing? He has to try and get a foot on the ball because Joe Linton's managed to get him behind. And what I found interesting about this, George certainly didn't and probably still doesn't now, is that early on, Newcastle went down the right a lot. It was all, get the ball to Trippier and he had a lot of crosses in the first half and, and, a, and a couple of the long staff chances came from that and Newcastle were targeting that side but then all of a sudden they sort of switched and they started targeting Huna on the other side and it was Gordon was getting in behind to begin with one of the long staff opportunities earlier on had come from that and then Joe Litton gets in there and it was very clear that Newcastle had switched focus from one flank to the other and that's where they thought the opportunities could come from and yeah it, it, it's a really good ball from Bruno Gamarais Joe Litton gets in behind lovely cross in the box as I say Isak's going to put it in if Ballard doesn't get there ahead of him so I just think for Newcastle that was the, the, the moment that they needed to, to really turn that dominance in, into taking lead because th- there'd been the three long staff, of, long staff opportunities but beyond that for all their possession, all their territory, they hadn't really created that much, that many clear-cut chances. And suddenly, I think, if they got to half-time and managed to sort of grind out that that to nil-nil at that point, I think they would have grown in confidence, and the crowd certainly would have done. But to get the goal at that point, just again, sucked a little bit of the energy out of them once more. It was 1-0 at half-time, George. And Newcastle were looking dominant, and that young Sunderland side, probably more green than red and white, weren't they, let's be honest? I think that is an interesting point. I think one of the things that sort of struck both Chris and I just watching that was um, how big Newcastle were. I mean, not just how much better they were, which they were, and they should have been. You know, it's, you're talking about a Champions League team this season against a, a young championship side. But there was just an absolute gulf in terms of physicality and... Sunderland, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Joe Bellingham. There's been a lot of talk about their other sort of young players and how good they could be, and you know, can they play in the Premier League? And I, I just think it was a mismatch in that. I'm not saying that to be controversial or or sort of critical of them. Very interesting that they're playing out from the back, like most teams seem to do these days, like most Championship team teams seem to do. But I. You know, I thought that sort of one of the interesting things in the derby, you know, you've often talked in the past, like the Catamol game at St. James's Park, where he goes clattering into somebody after 30 seconds. There was none of that, really, until sort of later on in the match from Sunderland. It was a physical mismatch as well as a talent mismatch, if you like. And obviously that second goal just completely and utterly kills kills the game from from their perspective. It certainly does, and the, the home side were continuing to try and play out from the back, weren't they, Chris? And they didn't have an awful lot of success. A uh, bit of a, a bit of a mistake, and, and Alexander Isak puts us in a in a very comfortable position. Uh, it was laid on, of course, by Miggy Almiron, who's enjoyed this game quite a lot, hasn't he? After a bit of criticism recently, yeah. So that that was a key moment. I mean, yeah, as soon as the restart comes out, Sunderland obviously wanted to try and go out Newcastle, and that was just exactly what Newcastle needed. It would basically put the game to bed by that stage. The, Newcastle maybe through out parts of the second half after that it was sort of up and down in terms of exactly what they brought and I think part of that was to do with and going off as, as we're going to come on to but the that showed that Newcastle capitalised on the mistakes that Sunderland made That that's what good teams do and that's what although Newcastle weren't creating loads of opportunities of their own accord when Sunderland made mistakes Newcastle punished them so they the first one obviously and then they play out from the back Almiron up high nicks it does really really well and then very calmly just put, lays their little flick on to, to Isak to to, to, to finish into the, the empty net having taken the goalkeeper out of the game and Almiron has had a, a difficult few weeks I mean I'd said in, in November by that point I actually thought Almiron was playing very very well relative even to when he was scoring a lot of goals and he's had a difficult few weeks he's had those big moments the AC Milan chance where he didn't get his foot on the ball a few of their big opportunities the the the, the Nottingham Forest equaliser where he doesn't square it across the goal and, and it, for, for Almiron I think that did him the world of good he was actually dropped at Liverpool the match before but how brought him back in and his ability to win the ball high his ability to press his willingness to keep making those runs down the right hand side was crucial and actually I just want to show a Christmas present that my brother got me in reference to uh, to Miguel Almiron so the 
because he because he knows how how I tend to get ribbed about him on here. So here is obviously people at home can't see what this is. So I will tell yeah, people this, this makes this so this it, is it, magical this podcast is, this is, material. This. So it's sure, yes, visual. it's a funny visual. So it's a Miguel Almiron <laughs> premium quality player. So it's it's uh, instead of a San Miguel badge, I have that. So that's to remind me that Miguel Almiron is far better than you believe that I believe that he is, <laughs> uh, because I still think there's a narrative that's been created, which is not entirely fair on me. But no, Almiron was absolutely central to Newcastle's victory on Saturday, no doubt about it. We talk we talk often a lot about you know tempo players for for Eddie Howe's team, and I mean the manager was you know was incredibly complimentary about him after the game, saying he's an incredible person, he's the best, you know. But when he plays like that, he he is he is the tone setter in terms of pace, in terms of pressing, um, pressing at the right time, and yeah, it was great to see him back in that kind of form. Yeah, he was everywhere, wasn't he? Uh, another player who was everywhere as well, Joel Linton, Chris, we, we talked briefly about his injury before, was it a hamstring or a knee? I wasn't quite sure. Probably the one negative of the day, really, that he was withdrawn immediately after Alexander Isak's goal, uh, but he looked more like uh, a player tested the leg and said, no thanks, I'm going to I'm gonna come off. Uh, he'd personified the dominance, hadn't he, in that first half, and he remains hugely important to the team. I think it's a thigh injury is what, what it what a, right. the way it was described afterwards, and I think it was in the action of sort of trying to play a crossfield ball almost that that's when he that's when he first yeah. felt it. So he seemed very angry that he'd been shoved in the back as well as he was playing that ball. He, he seemed to be suggesting that maybe he wouldn't have got injured if he hadn't have been shoved in the back, which I thought was quite. That quite is interesting. interesting. I mean, I didn't see that at the time. I haven't seen that subsequently, but that that, mm. that is that is interesting. I mean, he was yeah. I thought he was Newcastle's best player in the first half, just in terms of what he brought. Not only did he obviously. Provide what's well, not. I don't think it technically counts as insist, but not only did he did he force the the mistake for the opening goal, he was. You could see he was just physically better and stronger and able to get up and down the pitch and dominate that midfield. I thought a little bit of that control went off when 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 he went off the game. Maybe that's also because Newcastle were two 0 up. Mighty came on. I thought he had good moments, but he's he's not Joe Linton in terms of exactly the same play. He's not that physical presence in midfield and the the that box to box presence. Just get, getting up and down the pitch, and 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 that was the the difference. Newcastle had, as George mentioned earlier, they were just physically stronger than than Sunderland in so many ways, and he he really did encapsulate that. So, I, the, it, the, that was the one negative Eddie Howe referenced it after the match, and there is a concern that I think he's certainly a significant doubt for Man City, and there is a concern that, that we might not see Joe Linton for a few weeks, if not slightly longer. We we wait and see. Newcastle are still going to assess that, but that is a negative at this point. Thankfully, there's a two week break to come, and that might mean that. That, that he is back sooner rather than later and doesn't miss too many matches. Whereas if he'd done this in any time in December, that would have been three or four games. At least he's out for. There isn't that risk at this point, but I do think he's exactly the player you want to be in and around Man City with Kevin De Bruyne back this weekend. I thought Newcastle had some, you know, exceptional performers. Mentioned that Almiron Bruno was another one. I thought yeah. he was he was incredible. He but was no, as as Chris says, Gillington, um absolutely sort of personified dominance both kind of on and off the ball Sunderland just didn't have a player like him and you know talk talk about in the past you know not too long ago five years ago ten years ago if if you're playing an FA Cup game as a Premier League team against a championship side what can you expect you can expect big rugged centre-halves you can expect big rugged centre-forwards and it was like the opposite it's like Newcastle had the big players and you know I'm not saying that um, it was like Newcastle kicked Sunderland out of the game because it wasn't like that because they're obviously very, very talented players as well. But they just didn't have anybody like Gillington. I thought he was he was absolutely magnificent. So, yeah, fingers crossed the injury isn't as bad um, as it seems. But that was the one. Yeah, I mean, just not being able to catch a break in terms of injuries is is the real shame. Yeah, absolutely. And it didn't it didn't really ever massively kick off, did it? But there was a little bit of argy-bargy involving uh, Anthony Gordon, uh, uh, who tortured Tri Hume all afternoon, basically, and uh, offed him his shirt after the game, uh, after he tore a strip off it. Uh, overall, though, Chris, things never really got massively tasty on the pitch, did they? No, they didn't. I mean, that that, that moment being captured was brilliant, because when you first saw it, it was sort of the, and then to see that what Gordon had actually said, and yeah, he basically said, I'll just wait until after the match and I'll give you my shirt. That just the that's that's what you expect from Anthony Gordon. I mean, that's what people thought. I think there was that when Anthony Gordon was joining Newcastle, and there was maybe a bit of disquiet from some people about him coming in. It's because he is one of those players who I think other opposition sides hate, and it's th- little things like that. Not only what he brings on the pitch and and, and the the legs that he showed to get beyond Hume all match, 
but also then those little like tasty moments he's quite happy to get involved in them uh, but no it wasn't it wasn't like a sort of it wasn't a, a, a there was no real punch up Isak runs in afterwards and like shoves out the way and it was interesting to see he was he was the first one involved desperate to get involved in that but it didn't it didn't flare up it wasn't like some of the matches we've seen historically there was never really a risk of a red card for anyone I don't think any I don't think there were there were terrible tackles really there were a couple of rightly yellow carded players but no it was it was never it was it wasn't like you would expect yeah. a, a sort of 15 20 years ago no didn't boil over did it no and I don't think the game sort of allowed it to because it just wasn't like that I mean if the game if it was still nil nil or one one then you know perhaps when there's that when there's that tension it can sort of boil over but there wasn't tension in the match was there I mean it was a, it was as far as Newcastle concerned was concerned it was a game more or less free of free of that kind of thing the those little moments tended to be with players and their own team. I mean, so Luco Nine went flying into Lewis Miley and got a, you know, got a big roar from the crowd. But there were those things where Bruno Bruno puts the ball out for the corner in his own half and then turns to Newcastle's fans and is pumped up and doing all that again. And you know, Kieran Trippier pointing to the scoreboard. He'd got a lot of stick throughout the game, and uh, when it was two 0 up. I massively enjoyed Trippier taking the piss a little bit with the ball at the corner. Did you see that one, where he put the ball down for the corner and it was so far out of the quadrant that you could, you know, you could have drove a car between yeah, the ball and the quadrant, yeah. and the fans were going wild. And he just looked at them and went, ah, "Yeah, I know, I know. Don't worry." And then he put it back. I like that. I enjoyed that. It's good. It was just it's gentle, but it's nice, you know. Yeah, and it wasn't. It, it just wasn't the occasion where things threatened to boil over because, as I say, there was no, there was no real tension in the result was it? No not at all and I think what you said earlier on was interesting about Newcastle really imposed themselves physically Sunderland didn't really seem to be able to do that because maybe because of the you know the, the, the size of their team they, they have got a smaller team they didn't try to impose themselves physically until a bit later on in the game when maybe it was a little bit far gone uh, and Ballard again come flying across and smashed in Anthony Gordon as he was through uh, after again as well uh, Luke 9 had tried to half Alexander Isak on the halfway line as well Newcastle got in behind uh, and they give away a penalty uh, a no look penalty from Alexander Isaac George what do you think about that well I don't want to inject a sour note into the, into the podcast <laughs> take it off no it was you know he, he finished it very well I mean what a moment for for him to score two goals two score two goals in the derby and yeah it comes from another mistake I mean that's it you know Sunderland made three massive errors at the back and they gave away three three goals and again that was one of the big differences between between the two levels of the two sides you know Newcastle know that if you're playing in the Premier League or the Champions League you make a mistake that's you done and you know I think you can probably get away with more in the Championship but they made three terrible errors and were punished for all of it and I think you know Amanda Staverley one of Newcastle's co-owners probably summed up Summed it up on her, her Instagram post when the the ball goes in and she shouts, "Fucking get in, yes!" Um, and in the end, it turned out to be pretty much you know the ideal day for Newcastle on what threatened to be you know very difficult for them. I also just want to give a shout out for Dan Ballard that he also had the, one of the best claims for an offside I think I've ever seen, and I saw it a real time at the time that there was. Isak obviously gets the ball and as you say Liquid 9 comes to try to go through him at first Anthony Gordon is in offside position but Anthony Gordon has returned to being on onside position quite clearly and he's away and, and, and this just the, the desperation to stick your hand up and to, yeah can I have can I have an offside call here and it was just never going to come so then he, 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 he from that position which has probably cost him a yard or two as well he tries to get back across to Gordon and yeah clatters into him And but George did you actually think it was a good penalty because obviously it wasn't really it wasn't really a twatter so were you, were you on board with that as a penalty ward what do you well it didn't matter at that point did it Chris I think that's the thing I think there's a context for everything I mean you know you don't do that kind of prancing stupid run up and penenkas when it's nil nil and this is to win a match I think two nil in the 90th minute whatever it was it just didn't matter and so I'm not going to get too worked up about that in spite of your best efforts to uh, to make me it's a good try though Chris it was enjoy- enjoyable very enjoyable it's excellent Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. All right, here's a little bit of audio from Dan Byrne in the aftermath of the Derby victory. Uh, yeah, obviously, I think it's, we are expected to win. I think anything, it was one of those games where it was like, there was no good outcome for us really but obviously we won 3-0 so we're happy but as in like if we hadn't have won comfortably people would have been complaining if I'd have getting beat it would have been horrific so um, to come away with a sort of 3-0 win a clean sheet um, it's probably as, as best as it could have been So what sort of mindset did you all come in the game with? Uh, just focus I don't think there's any pressure not internally anyway I think there's been sort of talk externally about like that we're not doing great and stuff but internally I think we're We've still got belief in what we do, uh, the Gaffer's philosophy and, and the way that we want to play. So I think it was more just sort of resetting after the Liverpool game. Even the Liverpool game, I thought that was more like us. I know that we conceded a lot of chances, but I thought that we were a lot better compared to what had been weeks previous. So, um, yeah, hopefully this is a sort of kickstart of better half of the season. So, George, Dan Byrne there, and nice to hear from him. Do you think they, they can use this to kickstart the rest of the season, as Dan suggested? Yeah, I mean, that has to be the hope, doesn't it? I mean, he talked about, you know, Newcastle looking much more like Newcastle in this game, and obviously there's the context of who they were playing, but I agree with that. I think you see the benefits of Newcastle having some time on the training pitch, some time to recover a bit, and... You know, we have to remember that this was a big game, not just because it was a derby, but because it's an FA Cup match. Newcastle don't win third round FA Cup games, <laughs> um, they, you know, yeah. uh, particularly away from home. And they've got an absolutely dreadful record. So, I mean, this was like a big, a big moment for the team, I think, not just because of the derby. It draws a line under that awful run of form in the derby, but it also keeps the season alive in a positive sense in terms of a cup competition. That's really important. I think Dan, you know, Dan also said that it felt a bit like this was sort of a, a lose-lose scenario. Now, I, I think in a derby, I think as a Newcastle fan, you would take any win ahead of kickoff. You would take a scrappy one 0 and say that's fine. But I think this version of the win is pretty much as good as it could have got for Newcastle. They get through it. They're dominant. They win comfortably in terms of you know the margins. They play well. And it has that effect of, firstly, quietening the noise around the club. I mean, a lot of that noise was external. But, again, as Newcastle fans, you know what it's like. When results start going the wrong way, there can be a negative momentum, you know, just as there can be a very strong positive momentum when things are going the right way. And we also know what derbies can do. They can make people go mad. You know, they can make, you can, you can, you can kind of have that edge of madness in matches where people take strange decisions and do all sorts of things. There was none of that from Newcastle. They were incredibly controlled, incredibly professional. And it's, yeah, I mean, I would say, and by the way, I would just, I would reverse that bit as well. People were saying that this was a no-lose game for Sunderland, you know, that this was a free hit. I think in terms of what happened off the pitch before the match leading up to it with all the stuff about tickets, all the stuff about the Black Cats bar that Newcastle fans were in about redecorating all of that and then how they played on the pitch. There was no such thing as a free hit in a derby. And, you know, that set a terrible tone for them. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how they, how kind of they respond to it. But, um, yeah, I mean, that has to be the hope. It's gone absolutely as well as it could have done the derby from the Newcastle perspective. And, you know, it's been very difficult against Manchester City. We know that. But, yeah, breathing space and respite, relief, chance to reset. I think that's really important. I'd agree with all that. I mean, in hindsight, me describing this as the most difficult or the the, the worst of Newcastle's draws of the season looks naive, and I, I would, I, if I went back, I, I, w- I would try and reanalyze that. But I do think that, given the context of, everything, of the way Newcastle were coming in this match, that was true. And having oh, seen, right. it wasn't required at all, was it? Yeah. But but what I was going to say is that I was going to I was going to give a shout out. I'm not going to name any specific names, but some people in the press box had said over the course of the last couple of weeks, some people had seen a lot more of Sunderland than I or others that Newcastle will win and probably win three 0 and it'll be relatively comfortable. And that turned out 
to be the case, but I do think there was still that unknown factor of everything that was going into this match. The fact it was the first derby in eight years, all of the the, the fact that the teams hadn't played each other, Newcastle's current form, injuries, everything surrounding the situation. Yeah. And, and really, Sunderland had struggled off the pitch already going into the match. And I think from Thursday onwards, once all the stuff about the black card spa had broken, I think that that gave New- Sunderland, whereas Newcastle had a clarity in what they had to go and do. I think Sunderland didn't necessarily have that sort of unity and focus going into the match, and that probably negatively affected them from from the get-go. So yes, I do think it can be something which can give real impetus to Newcastle for the rest of the season. It at least quietens all the noise down around the, the situation. I think if, if Newcastle had lost or drawn and had played really poorly, then all of the external questions about Eddie Howe maybe, maybe start to eat in a little bit more, but I think all of that is that that quietens down for now? They've got Man City this weekend, which obviously is a huge match. But I think, regardless of what happens at then and then Villa after the break, I, I think the fact that he's won against Sunderland means all of that just 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 quietens down significantly. Yeah, I mean they were expected to win Newcastle, weren't they? And that was, as George said before, probably about as well as it could have went. We are entitled, though, aren't we, George, to celebrate this one? It's been nearly a decade since we've won a derby. So, as a Newcastle fan, you've got to feel a little bit of, you know, you've got to feel a little bit of a spark there. That we're entitled to celebrate this. Oh my goodness, yeah, and you know, it's it was a huge, it's a huge, huge match. I mean, I thought, you know, Eddie Howe was very measured in his comments afterwards when he was he was asked about the occasion, asked if he enjoyed it, and you know, he he played it down as he plays down pretty much everything but he he also gave the game away a little bit when he when he was asked about it and you know the occasion and managing the occasion he spoke about it in the same breath as AC Milan and Paris Saint-Germain he said having gone through those big games that helped us with a game like this and you know that that for me when I talk about my love of the derby that's what it is it's about the magnitude of the occasion it might only be huge to us it's not you know in terms of you know, the Richter scale of footballing matches is not AC Milan, it's not PSG, but for us it is. And, you know, you see the scale of the police operation, the operation getting 6,000 Newcastle fans to the derby, it is different. It's just different. And I think, um, you know, Newcastle's record has been appalling. And of course, they, it, you know, the context of where Newcastle are in the league and where some are in the league doesn't matter in terms of that. It's just, it's a derby. They draw a line and, yeah, they have a bit of fun with it. And I think there was, you know, there was that thing after at the end where um, Jason Tyndall calls everyone together in front of the away fans and they do their sort of traditional team picture there instead of in the dressing room. And there was a, you know, there's a there's a touch of shit housing to that, let's be honest. But, of course, I mean, absolutely... It's what we're about as a region, this derby match. You take the piss, you have a bit of fun, and um, I think that was um, I think that was absolutely fair enough. In terms of the Tyndall situation, that was my understanding is that that was something that they thought about be- beforehand, and obviously that you have to then go and win the match. But I also think that was sort of the. I think that's both to to show sort of strength and the unity they feel has been so important to Newcastle's success under Eddie Howe, Jason Tindall and, and and the current ownership throughout the time that they've had in the last few months. But also then, as George said, there's that full-on shithousing element to have 6,000 Newcastle fans behind them waving their black and white scarves. That's not something which, given the, the situation that both clubs are in, never mind Newcastle's recent record in the derby, but also given... The, the situation that both clubs are in and we don't actually know when the next derby will be that is an image which Newcastle a lot of Newcastle fans I'm sure will cherish and so I, th- I think that I think yeah I think fair fair enough in that sense it was I can understand why it would rile Sunderland fans but equally I can see also why Newcastle did it so there's probably a point though isn't there where you need to draw a line with this kind of thing and uh, it wasn't really like any derby contest that we've had in in, in recent years um probably a good idea to have a look at what Phil Buckingham said on the athletic about the uh, about the clubs living in different worlds George there is a point isn't there where Newcastle need to sort of where we need to understand where we sit now yeah I mean I think that's fine and I, I, I suppose I, I, I said this on, on on social media on Saturday night one thing that I wanted to sort of draw attention to was that before the match there was a, a delegation of uh, representing Newcastle who brought a huge bunch of flowers a floral tribute and took it to the uh, the media centre, which is now called the Louise Wanless Media Centre, named after someone who was a really good friend of mine at Sunderland, and those flowers were then left outside the Stadium of Light. That's a symbol of the esteem with which 
she was held, Louise was held, both at Sunderland, but also far wider than that. And I just thought that was a lovely little touch. Lee Marshall, who fills a similar position at Newcastle, worked with Louise. And, you know, I think, I think the Derby can, can bring out good things. And, you know, it's important to remember that, uh, as much as we might not like to admit it, there's far more that unites yeah. the Northeast than there is that divides the, the Northeast. It's just that football is a massive, massive one. And, Again, this is this will probably be meaningless to a lot of people listening, and um, I'm sure the people concerned won't listen. But I've not been to the stadium like for a long time, and seeing um, the same faces in the press room, Andy, Kevin, Caroline, people who I love, and the people who are Sunderland through and through, um, but just great, great people. It was an absolute delight, delight to see them again. And you know, football is capable of doing good stuff as well, and it's important to important to remember that. Absolutely. Uh, so the next derby, then, Chris, another five or six years, do you think, or do we want one ASAP? Dan Burns seemed to be uh, suggesting that he wants Newcastle and Sunderland and Borough all fighting in the same league as well. I think Sean Longstaff and Q and Trippier said said the same thing, and I, I would I would like to see that. I mean, not in terms of as I say, I actually hate the days themselves, but I do I would like to see both clubs back in in the Premier League and so that these occasions are back that there was the uniqueness around this one given given the different divisions and given the length of time between them playing but I think it would be better to have Sunderland and Middlesbrough back in the Premier League and have and have the North East represented in that way that that's what I would say George is going to come in and 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 then he's going to he's going to be even more positive about it you know it's wonderful these days are wonderful <laughs> yeah but no no I <laughs> You took the piss out of me, Taylor, for saying, you know, on the morning of the derby, doing a kind of vomity sort of uh, <laughs> word on Twitter. But that's but that is the beauty of the match, and it's it's a weird thing. The last time I'd sort of felt that, looking back, was actually around the Southampton semi-final in the League Cup. Now that was that very very bizarre feeling of Newcastle competing for something positive in the second half of the season and there's something being something at stake and there was something tangible at stake with that. It was to get to a cup final. But the the derby it just it's this intangibility of just me of meaning. And it's yeah, it's a big fixture for us. It's probably not a big fixture anywhere else in the world, but it's just it's unique. And my my problem with the derby has always been that it's been this race to the bottom and it's taken on too much significance um in a negative way. And but I just think that in the you know in the kind of beautiful panoply of fixtures to have that one day where everything goes out the window and it just exists for its own sake, yeah. I'd, I I hope it's not as long until the next one. I hope someone would come up and um, obviously I would want Newcastle. To, I would want Newcastle to win, but it's the jeopardy of the day that just makes it so so remarkable. Yeah, I think my negativity towards the whole thing is probably a product of the last so many years of being beaten down by it all, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it was a fabulous occasion and it was great to see the teams playing each other again, but uh, I, I still didn't enjoy the <laughs> the couple of days beforehand, the, the feelings in the chest, the, no, the, the stomach doing somersaults and all that, you know, but um, yeah, it was, it, I mean, it was a great, a great result on the day and, and a fantastic occasion. Uh, so, Chris, it's the last chance of silverware isn't it for Newcastle United as well the draw happens uh, after this show goes out um, and bearing in mind we have absolutely no kind of uh, say over this but who do you want in the draw who would you like to see Newcastle get well, Newcastle are ball number 15, but that's completely irrelevant. It is. Um, I mean, Newcastle are probably going to get Liverpool away, aren't they? I would very much imagine. Yeah, Man City away. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's what I would suspect. Uh, I, I mean, what I've just seen is, if you look at NUFC.com's report from, from the match, that was actually the first time Newcastle have won a third round away tie in the FA Cup at the first attempt since 2005. Wow. So they've had 12 away, yeah, 12 away draws in two, but since 2005 since they actually were. So that that was that was at Yedding I think when they find, when they did it then. Jesus. Um so that is that shows actually that in the context of Newcastle United and recent FA Cup history Eddie Howard lost both of his previous FA Cup matches against Cambridge and uh, Sheffield Wednesday both right, of the league yeah. one at the time that was a huge victory. So I suspect it'll be a very difficult draw but it'll be nice if Newcastle had a home draw against lower league opposition. I just wanted to add to that the thing that I kind of wrote from the game on Saturday evening, which you can find on the Athletic. That was all about that. It was, you know, there was a double whammy. It wasn't just Newcastle winning a derby that doesn't happen. Yeah. It was winning in the FA Cup, which doesn't happen. And when we now say last chance of silverware, we're not following that with a laugh, which we would have done yeah. 
three years ago. You know, it was a big game in the in, in its own right, and it's you know it's about time that Newcastle and FA Cup third round day was not synonymous with flatness, with embarrassment, with going out early. It's a big competition now for Newcastle. Let's see how far they can go. Um, on that same sort of theme, Phil Buckingham um, has written to you about what the result means to Sunderland. That might be interesting for Newcastle fans to to have a read of that. And then by the time this comes out, Michael Walker will have written, uh, who is you know an exceptional writer, has written sort of a bigger, wider-ranging piece about the derby and the meaning of the derby. So I would uh, direct people to have a read of that. Lovely stuff, yes. Uh, if you get yourself over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod, uh, you can pay just one ninety nine a month for your first 12 months with The Athletic. We'll be back in just a second. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, if there were any doubts that Becky Langley's uh, Newcastle United women's team would pick up where they left off last year, then they were thoroughly dispelled uh, by a ruthless dismantling of Halifax at Kingston Park. 7-0, a hat-trick for Katie Barker and Tyler Dodds. Really enjoyed getting her first goal uh, for the team, George. A lovely, uh, a lovely result, that. It was brilliant. It was an absolutely brilliant day. And yeah, I spoke to, um, I spoke to Becky Langley afterwards. And so have a, have a bit of a listen. Really, really good performance from the team. I think one of the words the girls used was an efficient performance. So, got the job done, kept a clean sheet and really exciting forward play. Um, I thought Katie Barker in particular was brilliant in the first half. But yeah, fantastic result and a great way to start the new year. One of the things that sort of struck me watching the team, not being here for, for a while, but how much fitter the team look, how much more confident the team look, playing beautiful stuff. Are you really sort of noticing the difference from, from doing the full-time <laughs> training and all and all that? Yeah, definitely. I think the team being full-time, they've got more access to the gym, the more access to the football sessions we're putting on, so they're able to get so much fitter, stronger, faster. But yeah, that comes, the confidence comes from the amount of game time we've had now been top of the league and performing well I think confidence comes and I think next week's game against Manchester United is a win-win for us um, you know we get something out of the game we win the game you know confidence will be even higher we obviously will be playing to win but if we don't get the result we want then it's a learning curve and we can pick, we can see how far off we are I'm sure that in for a game like this you'd be looking to see how your team plays to see if there is half a half an eye on that match but just not at all I mean that was that was focused it was clinical it's professional yeah, absolutely. I think the girls know the leagues were the most important thing to us, so they'll be taking it just one game at a time and not getting too carried away. We're thinking about Manchester United next week, but at the same time, you know, the players will be thinking, look, I want to perform to showcase what I can do to make sure I'm in that starting eleven versus Man United. So, yeah, hopefully they play a strong team. We want to play against the best players we can, but we are really looking forward to it. Yeah, is it, an, is it a, a, a case of being able to showcase... Newcastle United and what's going on here? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're you know there's thousand there's a thousand fans from from Newcastle who've bought a ticket for that game. So we want to go and showcase the best version of ourselves. We want to be competitive. We want to get after Man United. We want to make it hard for them. And you know, we're the underdogs, which will be new for us. And yeah, we're just excited to play and show what we can do against the best players in the country. And as you said uh, to Becky, uh, George, since you last watched uh, the the lasses in person, they've they've really transformed themselves, haven't they? Physically, they seem to be in a lot better shape. So physically, but you know, in terms of confidence, obviously having been unbeaten in the entirety of 2023, which is absolutely astonishing. 
but in the way they played, in every single respect, they looked better. Now, I mean, obviously, last season they were dominant in their division, and they're you know they're top of the league uh, this time too. But I, there was something quite remarkable in the transformation. I think, um, yeah, as Becky said, you know, going full time means that their fitness has gone up to another level. That puts them in an unusual position in their team, but just the way they played, um, they've always been good. But it was. Everybody knew what they were supposed to be doing. You can see the speed of thought, not just the speed of the way they play. It was just so impressive. They looked absolutely brilliant. And yeah, if 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 Sunderland versus Newcastle was boys against men, then Newcastle against Halifax was women against girls. I mean, that was there was just an absolute disparity, and um, it was brilliant to see another good crowd there. Really. Upbeat. Amanda Stavely was there again, showing her support. Things are just going from strength to strength. I think they are five points clear of Burnley at the top now, albeit have played a game more. But I couldn't speak more highly of what I saw. It was just, it was just brilliant. And you know they've they've got a lot of going for them. We have to we have to sort of accept that and admit that. You know they've got all the stuff off the pitch. They're you know recording games on video and they're using all technology and things like that. But um, yeah, they're they're really leading from the front so just brilliant to see and all of this Chris should really put them in a great place shouldn't it going into that FA Cup game at Man United an absolutely huge game that it is a huge game and uh, obviously we'll then see how Newcastle can perform against a side still several levels above them. That's that's the aspira- it's aspirational this match, I think, for them. That's the level yeah. they want to get to. They want to be regularly it's a good competing. Tester, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And they will go in as massive underdogs and, and rightly so. But it will be intriguing to see how they do tackle that and how they are going to, to perform there because this is this is this is the chance for, for them to step up and, and and just being in the FA Cup as well we talk about Newcastle men's side being in the FA Cup for the, for the women's team eventually the goal is to also win trophies in those competitions so to, to start to get along that and start to get the taste for it a lot of these players won't have been an occasion like this before they won't have played against the level of opposition they're going to face some of them have the, 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 uh, have come down from those sorts of levels but others they, they are trying to grow with Newcastle women's side and so yeah I think a huge uh, match on, on Sunday and a one very much looking forward to. Absolutely. Right then, back in just a moment. Come on, you Maggies. So, lads, uh, for the first time in forever, no midweek fixture. Have you uh, have you chaps got anything interesting planned, George? Uh, just Just work. Really, um, it doesn't. Fun, it, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't quieten down. No, I've got a few, couple of kind of big, fun, interesting things potentially happening in the next couple of weeks, which obviously Ooh. I will um, keep you informed with. But um, yeah, and I'm, it's just the pleasing thing is to you know to repeat a little bit is just that the sting has now gone out of the conversation around Newcastle, and you know that is that is the negativity of a derby match is that there can be a lot of fallout and at least there isn't that anymore and uh, we can get on and you know I think Newcastle will have a strong second half of the season I think the fixture list will will help them in that respect whether that starts this weekend or not I don't know but I think people will be feeling a lot more positive about it than a few days ago. Yeah, Man City on Saturday, Chris. Tea time kickoff. That's a pretty much as tough a task as you can ask for, isn't it? Yeah, but Newcastle go in with, I wouldn't say a huge confidence because they're still their league form is still not great, and, and and in general that they they obviously last time out at St James's Park in the Premier League lost to to Nottingham Forest, and that air of invincibility they almost had at St James's has gone. But the the boost of the Derby victory and just the focus on that, and having had a full week on the training ground, well even before Sunderland, I mean Dan Burns spoke about how Newcastle. Were a lot more organised because they'd had a few days on the training ground, but they'd played Monday night and then it was back. They were playing on sun, on Saturday early afternoon. This is they've played Saturday early afternoon. They're not playing till Saturday afternoon next week. They're going to have more time on the training ground this week. They're going to be able to be prepared for that. And Newcastle have already beaten Man City at St James's Park this season, albeit in in the League Cup. They also drew with them in that wonderful match towards the start of last season, threes each. So they have positive recent memories against Manchester City, and I think this is going to be a very very special. I'm really looking forward to it, as, as difficult a challenge as this will be. And as if they didn't have enough talent in their squad already, uh, George Mann said, you've got Kevin De Bruyne 
Bellingham back this week as well. He came back uh, from injury and played in the FA Cup at the weekend. A bit of a, a, a flip reversal of the on-pitch dynamics from the derby, isn't it? There was that great quote, wasn't there, from a couple of weeks back. Uh, Jurgen Klopp sort of said uh, Kevin De Bruyne back in the Premier League is quaking or shaking or something like that Um, uh, which I thought was very nice and yeah but you know you want to test yourself against uh, against this level of opposition if nothing else this season and obviously we don't know how um, we don't know how it will play out we don't know how it will finish but Newcastle have had a season of moments, haven't they? Of big, big moments. Whether it's going to Old Trafford in the League Cup or Man City in the in the League Cup, obviously Sunderland just this last weekend, and then all of those Champions League fixtures. There have been some kind of great occasions, and it wouldn't be right to say that Newcastle have come out on top of all of them, but they have in a few. And you know, Arsenal, you can talk about the Arsenal game as well, and obviously the Chelsea in the Premier League at home. So I don't think there's anything to be to be scared of. Certainly not after what's happened in the in the last few days. So um, and yeah, if Newcastle are able to kind of recover some of that that physical, um, it, I mean, it's not just about how Newcastle played from the start. You saw again against Sunderland. You know, they named a very strong first team, the strongest possible first team they could name. But there was very, very few options on the bench. It's about it's about in game. Physicality, and do you do you have a go for sixty minutes? Do you have to conserve your energy because you know you're going to play for ninety minutes? It's a slightly different thing, but when they're fully fit, when they're at it, Newcastle are absolutely a match for anybody. Yeah, I mean, what you've got to remember is that if you take a step back and look at this from a wider context, the the, the victory over Sunderland was massive in many ways. But really, the the, the problems or, or issues Newcastle had before have, haven't changed. And I, I'm going to look at that in a piece which which should be up in the, in the next day or so on the Athletic, sort of really looking mainly about around transfers and the Joe Linton situation and, and FFP, which really is affecting what Newcastle can do. And there was there was huge relief at the weekend. But Newcastle do need reinforcements this month. They do need to strengthen. They do need to to see some movement in the transfer market now that there's going to be there's going to be a, a transfer meeting this week there's or that Newcastle have already convened some but there's going to be another one this week to look at where Newcastle can go next how can they how can they actually get the the wheels in motion how can they get players in and i think it's likely to be after man city that two week break is going to be huge off the field both in terms of Newcastle training and getting more bodies back where the injury situation lies, but also what business can they actually do? How can they make sure they end the month stronger than, than, than they started it? And right now that remains unclear, but hopefully by the end of this week, there'll be a little bit more clarity on that front. Fingers crossed. Uh, just a, a quick news flash, lads. How about this? For the first time ever in Pod on the Tyne history, some news has broken while we're on air. They haven't waited until we finished the show. Uh, Fabian Shares signed a contract extension, Chris. Yes, so Fabian Shares' contract was due to expire this summer. He's obviously been, he's been almost ever present at Newcastle since Eddie Howe arrived. He was restored to the side after really falling out of favour under Steve Bruce and it looked like he was going to set to leave really before Eddie Howe came in but but now he's an integral part of Newcastle's defence has been on almost ever present this season when other members of the back four have been out injured and he, he continues to, to, to play a huge role I think that Newcastle have looked at trying to, to add greater depth at centre back but it's a position they've struggled to strengthen and, and they want to hold on to Fabian Cher to make sure that he is here beyond this season so his contract now is up till the end of next season, summer of 2020 and that's a significant boost I think for Newcastle during a month where they're struggling to bring other players in but if you know that Fabian Cher is going to be here for another year that is a real boost for everyone Yes, another year of share, uh, George we're going to get to see his glorious Swiss bracket for another year that's what you want to see, isn't it? Absolutely, he's been brilliant I mean he has to be up there in the conversation about players of the season um, I mean incredible to think that you know he's gone from from where he was in the pecking order to being a regular in the Champions League and um, he's just he's he's been absolutely fantastic nobody can do what he does on the ball I mean that's one thing to say apart from as a defender and um, he's uh, he's been excellent it's totally and utterly deserved and uh, yeah well done to him absolutely 
Yeah, and just before we finish off, we've got to say as well that uh, Yakuba Minda has been named in the final 27-man squad for Gambia at the African Cup of Nations. Uh, and if any supporters thought he'd be playing for Newcastle in the second half of the season, that'll put an end to those rumours. Uh, but good luck to him. Uh, we hope to see him get plenty of tournament minutes, as the uh, as the kids are saying these days. And those games will be shown uh, live on Sky in the UK if you want to check him out as well. Uh, that's just about it. Thank you very much, Chaps. Thanks for your time, Chris. You're very, very welcome. I feel really re-energised now. I know I haven't sounded it throughout the podcast. I've sounded very, very, very mellow. Just the come down of having spent a full Saturday with George Culkin was uh, was difficult. I mean, that was even longer than we would usually spend on match day. That was a very, very long. Taking out anybody, yeah. wouldn't and it? it just, just him anyone, and him man. also just kept, kept going on. Oh yeah, this is this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. So I'm trying to focus on my work. I'm trying to focus on the day. I don't need you in my ear. So yeah. <laughs> Hapless Chris Watt, who left his fleece in the uh, in the Sunderland press box, so it came back significantly oh, lighter. Hapless George Colkin, who then left his cap at the end of my uh, the, at the end of my drive, so I have his cap in my possession right now. Right, I'm going to stop this now because I feel like we could go back and forth between you two being hapless for the rest of the day. So let's stop. It's like our inter inter pod derby, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's like it's like an Ab- the Abbott and Costello derby used to. So it's like yeah. watching bloody. Russ Abbott and Elvis Costello. That's that's right. it, yeah, Russ Abbott and Elvis Costello. Uh, excellent. Right. Okay. That's it. Get in touch. Add Pod on the Tyne on Twitter or X or whatever you're calling it at the minute. And email us at Pod on the Tyne at theathletic.com. That's it. Thank you very much for listening. Newcastle have finally uh, won a derby for the first time in a long time. From everybody at Pod on the Tyne, thank you for listening. Take care. Enjoy your week. Goodbye. Fabian Shares signed a contract extension, Chris. <laughs> Chris is on mute. He just looks so earnest there. That was brilliant. Talking away. You nugget. Right. So am I just replying to you there? Yes. That's the way it works. That's yeah. how this ten- tends to happen. That's how conversations work. The Athletic.